Our gospel is written for us again in the, uh, in the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter 5 of the Gospel of St. Matthew, beginning at 13th verse. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can, you, can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Be seated, please. Dear friends in Christ, You know, if you live long enough and you see enough generations of people, you'll see how the uh, English language will change and how people use the English language in a different way in succeeding generations or preceding generations. For instance, when I was, uh, when I was a child, when I was you know, perhaps in high school, I wasn't perhaps in high school, I was in high school, um, when something was good, that was cool. Right? That was cool. Something good, that's cool. Hey, Mom, that was a cool meal. It wasn't cool, it was hot, but it was cool. right? And then, as I got into my college years, things began to change. It always starts in California. And we just so happen to have, well, he became a really good friend of mine, and in fact, our family. Uh, we became godparents to their children. Had a, a man that was from California in college and then seminary, and he, and he was truly a California guy. So when I said things were cool, meaning good, right, he would say, far out! And you do that all the time, far out. In fact, he ended up getting that nickname until the day he graduated from the seminary. And I thought God must have a sense of humor because he was sent then to start a church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Could you imagine him saying this? <laughs> far out, y'all! <laughs> I got to serve in a church in, Cal in, in Florida. We had a school, and as far as I could tell, Florida was kind of like California East. 
And uh, children there would use all kinds of different language, and pretty soon I found out that my cool and my friends far out had been replaced by, that's gnarly. That's gnarly. I always kind of like that one. That's gnarly. So if you were, uh, you were totally gnarly, I mean, you couldn't be cooler or you couldn't be more far out than that. Now you're probably saying, well, pastor, what's the point? Let's get on with the sermon. Well, I was trying to think of a good sermon theme today that would follow the words of our text. And as I was thinking about it, I came to this conclusion. I wanted to be hip. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be far out. I wanted to be gnarly. So I came up with these words. Back at you, Jesus. Back at you, Jesus. You know, when people, when people uh, say they love you and miss you, uh, you don't necessarily say, well, I love you and miss you too. You say, back at you, right? Back at you. And when we think about how much Jesus loves us, that he would come to this earth, live, die, rise again, forgive us our sins, give us all kinds of gifts, give us eternal life, what else can we say but, back at you, Jesus, back at you. Now, when you talk about love, real love, you got to understand this, that love can really be understood in the light of God's love. Isn't that true? Real love is the kind with which God loved us. In fact, the Bible says that. It says, uh, we love, why? Because he first loved us. Now, these words that uh, serve as our sermon text are also part of the Sermon on the Mount, which we began last week, taken from the beginning in Matthew chapter 5. We went through verses 1 to 12, the Beatitudes. Today, we're going on from there. And what does Jesus say? He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to people like you and me. Those people on the mountainside there, the Sermon on the Mount, they were his followers. And what does he say about them? He says, you are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its saltiness. Uh, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can, you how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So all who follow him are called the salt of the earth. Now when we think of salt, we think of how it seasons food. Right? Watch the food channel. And uh, when someone makes some food and they're judging it, it could have used more salt. Now, I don't know if our, uh, our chili cook-off is going to come off, but let me just say this as one who has, run, who has won a number of, of chili cook-offs. I'm going to give you some advice. Pour in the salt. Just pour in the salt. If you think you've got enough, put in more. Just pour it in. People like salty. They don't like hot and sweet. Remember that, okay? 
Remember that. This worked a few times on me, and I got to win because I gave, people followed my advice. So what is Jesus saying here when he says that you are the salt of the earth? We taste good? Or is it this? That we are palatable toward God because we're the salt of the earth. No, it's not that at all. We know that salt also it, uh, is, is something that, uh, that, that will melt ice. Right? And I don't know the science about it, but apparently what the salt does is lower the temperature at which water freezes. So you throw it on ice, it lowers the temperature and it becomes a liquid. And that's why you put it on an icy sidewalk. Like I said, I don't know how it works. But if we're the salt of the earth, then is it then that, well, we melt God's heart? Not that either. Not that either. No, we're the salt of the earth. But we're the salt of the earth in this way, that we are a preservative. There's a company that is uh, helping travelers by building all kinds of auto plazas all the way through the south. They started in Texas. It's called Bucky's. And we just so happen to have one at the end of the road where we live on. If you go out of the, our, our subdivision, you turn right, you go down about two and a half miles, you come to I-40. And they built a Bucky's there. And people go in there by the, <laughs> by the boatload. There's 119 gas pumps. And inside, there's a 55,000 square foot building, and you got all kinds of stuff in there, all kinds of trinkets, all kinds of clothes and souvenirs. You got all kinds of food, you got candy, you got all kinds of stuff. And one thing that's interesting that they have is a jerky bar. It's about 10 feet long, and you can buy all kinds of jerky. And I'm purposely not saying beef jerky because that's not the only kind they sell. They have chicken jerky, they have, they have duck jerky, they have bison jerky, they have elk jerky, they have turkey jerky, and they may even sell herky jerky. I don't know at about $30 a pound. <laughs> As about 30, how do you make jerky? I'm not sure how you do that either, but one thing they use is salt, and lots of it. Because what does salt do? Salt draws the moisture from the meat, draws it out. What does bacteria need to grow? It needs moisture. So if you draw the moisture out, the bacteria is gone, and you got jerky. You got meat, a little salty. Then you got to worry about high blood pressure. Right? But it's pure protein. A scientist said it like this. He says, Put upon, upon contact with a bacterial presence, salt will start to absorb water through the cell walls and effectively kill the living organism. And so they can preserve meat. We're the salt of the earth. We are the preservative. How is that? 
Well, if all of us Christians really disappeared from this earth, wouldn't the world kind of fall in on itself? Would there be any need for the earth to be around anymore? We're the ones that teach people what's right and what's wrong. And when we do wrong, we're also the people that teach people about Jesus who made us right even though we do wrong. He gives us the purpose of living and we share that with other people. We give hope to the world by sharing Jesus Christ with other people. We are a preservative. And and God says, when you come to faith, that's what you are. That's what you are, the salt of the earth. And then he says, don't lose your saltiness. The world needs us as the salt of the earth more than ever. And I've noticed this. We live in a kind of a sleepy old southern town that unfortunately is trying to wake up, and we're getting more and more people coming to it. Um, but the fact of the matter is, when you kind of live there and a traffic stop is about five cars, and that's a traffic jam, and you get into cities where you know, it's much greater and bigger and worse, you can kind of tell the difference. And I can tell the difference in people. Everybody's going fast. The pace is very fast. Judy and I go work out in a gym. May not look it, but we do. And everybody's got earbuds in. They don't look to the left. They don't look to the right. Our little hometown gym, mom and pop operation, everybody talks to everybody. I know we're going to be called pretty soon by saying, what are you, dead? <laughs> you haven't been in lately. They look out for you. But when we live in that kind of society, we have an opportunity to be that preservative. I really try to go into that gym and smile at everybody. And I try to say hello to everybody, even though they don't hear. And who knows, maybe someday there will be a conversation, and we've kind of had that already. We have a conversation where you can tell people about Jesus and preserve their life if they come to faith, right, from rotting in hell. So I say to people, and I say to you, wear those Jesus shirts, if it's possible. Wear the crosses around your neck. Talk to people, say hello, say hi, smile. Be the salt of the earth. Because who knows, like I said before, where that conversation may end up going. You are the salt of the earth. And he doesn't stop there. He says, you are the light of the world. Now I'm going to do a little bragging, not that I'm given to that. <laughs> well, maybe a little about chili, but yeah. But we have three wonderful kids. God blessed us so greatly with our children, as he has blessed you too. I'm just saying it from our perspective. And our children have given us six grandkids. And every night, my prayer for my grandkids and for my kids and for us and for you is this. Help us to be lights in this world. God called us to light when we were baptized into his name. And it's our responsibility and our privilege 
to be a light in this world, to show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look what God promises. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. There was a young, uh, young mother who took a uh, daughter for a walk in a big city. They came to a beautiful, beautiful cathedral. And the mother wanted to show her little daughter what it was like inside. They opened the door, they went inside, they got into the sanctuary, and their faces were bathed with all kinds of colors. Stained glass windows all around. Those stained glass windows had pictures of the apostles and some of the other great people of faith. And uh, the little girl asked, Mom, who are those people? And Mom said, well, they're saints. And then the little girl said something, (laughs) maybe it was by accident, but it's so true. You mean a saint is someone who lets the light shine through? And that's the truth, isn't it? You and I are saints, holy people. By the Holy Spirit's power, made children of God, and we know Jesus is our Savior. That's what a saint is. So let your light shine. Let your light shine. He also says here, don't, let it, don't hide it. Don't hide your light. Don't put it under a, a, a basket. But let it shine forth. How many of you have been to Chattanooga, Tennessee? Anybody? Um, having lived in Atlanta for 28 years, um, our kids went to school up north in our synod schools, and Chattanooga isn't that far from Atlanta. We often went north. Sometimes we'd go by Chattanooga during the night. And if you were going north during the night or coming south, it didn't make any difference. There's a portion of the road, the, uh, the eye system there, where you kind of look down on the city and you see all the lights on. It's really impressive. But what's even more impressive, that's if you look out the right side of the car. If you look out the left side of the car, you see Lookout Mountain. And it goes up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet. And you look up, and on top of the mountain, there are all kinds of homes or businesses up there, and they too have their lights on. It's beautiful. Now, I know that Jesus was probably not referring to Chattanooga, Tennessee, when he was saying these words. But he was probably referring to Jerusalem, and the people understood that, because Jerusalem itself was up on a hill, up on hills. In fact, the Bible says when people went to Jerusalem, they went up to Jerusalem. There are some psalms in the, in the uh, psalm section of the, of the Bible that go from 120 to 134, called the Psalms of Ascent. And many people feel that it got that name because as people were going to Jerusalem for their various festivals, they would start singing those songs as they ascended to the city of Jerusalem. And what was in the middle of the city? There on Mount Zion was the great temple. And you could see it from long, long distances away. And that's what God did that on purpose. 
where his name was to be shared and made known. He doesn't want you hiding your light. He says, he says it like this, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. When we come to faith, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit not only creates faith, but he stays inside of us. The Bible says that we become temples of the Holy Spirit. And so it is, again, our responsibility, our privilege to show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because when we let our light shine, what are we saying to Jesus? <laughs> Back at you, Jesus, for the love that you showed me. I want to show it to others. Now, so we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But there's something troubling about that, isn't there? So let's talk about that a little bit. And the trouble is this. Now, if we're sitting in our, uh, our uh, pews, <laughs> and as a preacher, I would say, all right, I know the Lord says that I'm the salt of the earth and I'm the light of the world. But you know, that light doesn't always shine very brightly. In fact, a lot of times that light sort of flickers and fades and becomes very faint. We don't always act like the light of the world. And in fact, that's kind of scary when you think about what Jesus also said in these verses. He says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. They were the religious leaders. And he says that about them? Well, there was a reason. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, even though they had the same scripture as Jesus did, saw it completely different. You see, they thought that God's law was all about keeping it, keeping it, keeping it, keeping it. And, uh, and then blaming people, particularly others, because they didn't always look at themselves. They blamed others for breaking it. Made people feel guilty. And then were able to manipulate them. Jesus once said about the Pharisees, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They were hypocrites. They ignored their own sins. They liked to look at the sins of other people. They liked to remove the specks from other people's eyes while they had planks in their own, right? And in fact, Jesus even said that. He gave an example of a man, a Pharisee in the temple, who stood out there before everybody and he prayed this, not God be merciful to the sinner, me a sinner. He prayed, I thank you, Lord, that I am not like other people, like that tax collector over there. And that's the natural religion of mankind. If left to our own devices, that's exactly what we would do too. In fact, I was reading an article in the 
on the internet, written by a very, if I named him, you would know who he is. He talked about, uh, he talked about, well, he, he's, a, he's, he's, he's a man who goes to church on a weekly basis. And uh, he said this, he said, the end is coming. People need to understand that the end is coming. I thought, wow, he's right, right? The end is coming. And then he said this, he said, that's why y'all, that's why you, that's why you should be storing up good works so that when he comes, you know, you got something on your side. Doesn't work that way, mister. It doesn't work that way, mister. In fact, he says here, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Nothing we do, no matter if we think it's good, the Lord would say to us, if he put it under a fine, fine uh, uh, microscope, he could find all kinds of things that are wrong with the good things that we do. Because the Lord says that, you know, that even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But Jesus says, in spite of saying what he just did, he says this, and this is what gives us hope, and this is what gives us certainty. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that in and of itself is a sermon all by itself. But let me ask you this question. And you think about this. Is perfection still the requirement to get into heaven? Yes or no? Is perfection still the requirement to get into heaven? And the answer is yes. 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 Because that's what Jesus came to do was to fill all righteousness, right, for us, for us. It isn't our righteousness that will get us there because we don't have it by ourselves, but Jesus gives it to us. That's what he says. He says, he says, uh, he says do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So when you take a look at all the commandments that were found in the Old Testament, what did Jesus do? Not once did he sin, but he obeyed them all for us. And through faith, we get credit for, him, for it. When we understand that that's the truth, that Jesus did that for us, it's ours. It's ours. We trust Jesus. But he fulfilled the law and the prophets in still some other ways. Remember all the different uh, pictures that God gave in the Old Testament? Pictures about uh, uh, how Jesus would come into this world, how the Messiah would come. Uh, their, their whole system was based on all kinds of sacrifices. Did those sacrifices of animals actually take away sin? The book of Hebrews says no. But it was a picture of the once-for-all sacrifice that the great Lamb of God 
would give on the cross to die for the sins of all. He came to fulfill those pictures. And he also came to fulfill all the things that the prophets said. He fulfilled it all. From the time of, of Moses all the way to the time of Malachi. 300 and some different prophecies. He fulfilled them or will fulfill them. All to indicate to you that you are loved. That you are loved. How true it is. How true it is. When we understand how loved we are, that we can say, because Jesus has made us the light of the world and the salt of the earth, that we can say, now back at you, Jesus. Back at you, Jesus. Help me be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus.